today on CityCast Madison. The Madison School Board is expected to give educators an 8% wage hike in its next budget, the largest pay increase for Madison teachers ever. The raise comes at a time of sky-high inflation and unprecedented staff shortages. The historically high pay raise is projected to create a record-high deficit in the years to come, with no easy solution for how to close a multi-million dollar budget gap. Madison School Board President Nichelle Nichols joins me to explain what it all means for our schools, our kids, and frankly, our tax bills. It's Tuesday, June 20th. I'm Dylan Brogan, and here's what Madison's talking about. Michelle Nichols, thank you for joining us here on CityCast Madison. Happy to be here. So school board members, they requested as part of the upcoming budget uh, an 8% pay increase for teachers. Do you expect that pay increase will, will make it into the final budget? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of support from this board. And, and I can just share with you that some of the things that we really deliberated and talked about was just thinking about how many educators we have seen leave MMSD over the past two years, how important staff retention is. There was just a lot of a lot of passion around us wanting to make sure that we can retain the staff that we have. We also know that, you know, it's been record high inflation. And so when you kind of combine the staffing shortage the inflation, we we felt like we really wanted to signal to staff that we do value them, that we know the important role they play. And um, this was one way that we could really signal um, the value and respect for the role. So, yes, we, we um, asked administration to go back to the bargaining table um, with 8%. And so, as far as I know, that will go through. Um, when we vote for the budget on June 26 and become part of our base wage. And we are talking base wage here. It gets a little confusing with just pay structures and everything, but some teachers could be seeing 10% maybe even with the that 2% of, they call it steps and lanes, but it's it basically just uh, incentives for that the district has set up. Yes, that is correct. So not, um, so the 8% will be experienced and felt by all units in the district. The steps and lanes is that additional 2% that really only our teaching staff would experience. So yes, we do have our certified teachers who will who will also get the additional 2%. Okay, so the district and in April, uh, Superintendent Jenkins and in, in his initial budget, he recommended a smaller base wage. Part of that was just because we don't know what the state was going to do, right, in terms of funding for next year. It does look like there's going to be some sort of deficit that will have to be dealt with. It's $12 million more, right, to give the, these teachers uh, a pay bump next year and moving forward. I heard at the budget meeting uh, or one of the meetings that staff cuts might have to be made at some point. Uh, maybe 300 I heard, was a number thrown around. Are you worried about staff positions, maybe programming being cut because you're giving a raise of 8%? So here's a bit of the reality. So as we go into the 2023-24 budget, which is the budget we're voting to preliminary approve, and then we'll do a final approval in October. Yes, our current CFO has basically said we will be approving a budget that shows like a $15 million 
deficit. It's not a balanced budget. And right now, because we have a healthy fund balance, we will be able to cover that $15 million deficit for the 23-24 school year and still be within our board-approved policy. The issue is not 23-24. It is the fiscal cliff coming into the 24-25 school year budget. And that is where I think we're going to see a variety of things come into play. So one, all of the ESSER funds. And and ESSER funds, that was temporary payments from the federal government that got passed in COVID. So that's what ESSER means. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for for clarifying that. So the this will be the the 23-24 school year will be the last year of the ESSER funding. One thing that we've done in the 23-24 budget is that there are currently about 110 positions that were put onto the ESSER funding. Those 110 positions are not necessarily only ESSER-created positions. There are positions like instructional coaches, behavior education specialists, and some other roles that typically would sit within our operating budget. So if you imagine um, that we wanted to retain (laughs) those positions going into the next school year, right? That's $11.7 million of FTE or full-time equivalency staff that we would want to reincorporate. We're also anticipating that our enrollment is continuing to decline. We will have some very difficult decisions and choices. Um, I know that at our most recent operations work group, the question was asked, like, what could be some of the impacts of this deficit, unbalanced budget moving forward into 24-25? And our CFO did say we would have to make sizable reductions in order to balance the budget. That could include things like reducing more staff, It could include things like schools. Like closing an elementary school, which would not be popular. No, no, none of these are going to be popular. None of them. I think the the due diligence that we have to have as a board is we know this fiscal cliff is coming and we've made a, a pretty important investment in our employees and our staff this year. Moving forward, we are going to have to figure out what can we cut and how might we show the community that we've done everything possible to be good stewards of our local property taxes and why we might need to come back. And I think before we can come back, we have to also show the community that we are working hard to try to balance the budget with the constraints that we have. And what you mean by coming back is coming back to voters by with an operational referendum where the community votes up or down to give the school district more funding. So you don't have to fire 300 people. You don't have to close an elementary school, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think what I've heard, you know, my colleagues on the board mention a few times already is we're probably going to have to go to referendum. And some of that is like we're we're in a deficit even if we had not gone to the 8%. It was a smaller deficit, but it was still a deficit nonetheless. I do think that we're going to have to look at a variety of ways that we can think about sustaining our district moving forward. Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation now and that you're being so real about things because 
you know, a lot of this is just uh, how school funding in Wisconsin works and the complicated system that we have. It has to do with declining enrollment, too. And we were seeing a lot more enrollment by charter schools, voucher schools, even home schools. There's open enrollment where a Masson student might go to Verona or go to some prairie. So are you do you think that eight percent for retaining staff? Will that somewhat help with the enrollment issue? Is that part of the reason why school board members think it's a priority this year? You know, that's a great question. I don't know that we explicitly made the connection to staff retention and really respecting and valuing the hard work that our educators have been doing um, as we have emerged back to schools in a, you know, coming, emerging out of COVID-19 I don't know that we made an explicit connection to attracting or retaining enrollment. Although I will tell you that if we can retain and fill as many vacancies as possible, I guarantee you there will be more families having a better experience because their children's learning is going to have more stability. The classrooms are going to feel, yeah, more coherent because you're you're not having long-term subs or short-term subs kind of rotating in and out. And I think the quality of their, their entire school experience will be much better. So I think there is a correlation between the retention um, and being able to fill vacancies and enrollment. But I don't I don't know that it's a direct tie. The deal that's coming down from the legislature and the governor, there is going to be an increase in per pupil aid, $325. That's a lot more than some people expected. You take away the federal funds that have been temporary these last few years. And and I heard it's sort of like you take a step forward, you take a step back in terms of the district's finances. Is that how you're looking at it? Like, okay, well, great that we're getting this increase, but it's really just making up for the federal money we've been getting in the last few years. Or am I oversimplifying it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is very promising to hear of the increases that are being proposed at this point be pretty historic. So yes, we're happy to hear about that. And I think one of the things that has, I just have to add this, that has been unfortunate that I, I don't think most people know is that We are in our final year of the amazing operating referendum that was passed in 2020. We're moving into that final year. And and for our voting and taxpayer community, I don't know if folks remember, but that operating dollar amount had increased each year across the four years. And so we would ultimately be in our kind of most significant year of operating support. And yet, because we have so much of our enrollment going to the 2X charters, private school, open transfer enrollment, and because there is this other formula that goes into effect when you have declining enrollment over more than three years, there's this, what I, our CFO calls this hold harmless exemption, which is another hit. And so anyway, I am not a CFO, but let me just say, when you see it, it's like between that activity alone, it it pretty much has eaten up out of the $10 million that we should be seeing, it's eating up like $8 million. So voters voted at this extra money and just because of how the state formula works, 
it got all eaten away and yep. it was sort of just like a net zero. So that little boost that we were supposed to get ended up just flat. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If we had the full effect of our last year of the operating referendum, our deficit would probably be much smaller. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so when you're still spending that exceeds kind of where your revenue is, obviously you're going to, you're going to run into a deficit. So it's just, um, yeah, it's just it's just hard times. We've got quite a bit of legwork to do um, in in the short term, um, which we will be doing as we are also embarking on a superintendent search process. So we've we've kind of got our work cut out for us. Yes. Well, tell us about that. Yeah, this is the time to really have these conversations about uh, because the the real pain of things coming together and hard choices is coming up, like you said, in twenty twenty five. So. Hopefully by then we will have a new superintendent. How How's that going and, and what's the timeline? Yes. So um, we selected a search firm and that search firm is called the Alma Group. And um, one of the first decisions we made with the Alma Group in May was what timeline did we want to follow for trying to attract and hire a superintendent. And Alma Group presented us with two timelines. One was we could try to go down the path of doing a much more expedited um, search process, meaning we would have started community engagement like right now, right as school ended. We would hopefully have a leadership profile up by August. We would then be attracting candidates by early fall and maybe ready to make an offer no later than November or December. And then we talked about what would it look like if we followed a more traditional kind of education hiring timeline where it's like, you know, a lot of folks that um, are looking to be superintendents would normally be looking to get their, their names out there somewhere around November through February with offers then being made around that time. And then most people know that a superintendent would be well poised to start July 1 of that following year. So anyway, uh, due to the variety of like pros and cons that we discussed, uh, we decided that we wanted to follow a more traditional kind of education cycle for hiring because we think that one, it gives us time over the summer to really plan some thoughtful community engagement that will be a big part of the early phase. And we didn't want to do that right as school was ending. Like, oh, y'all like have summer vacation planned too bad. Like, <laughs> you know, so we wanted to be ready to go. You know, I mean, that would be dismissive and disrespectful. So like we wanted to be able to like give people time to like rejuvenate. Um, and then as school comes back into session, we will start up those community engagement sessions like early October. Cool. Um, that should set us up to have like a leadership profile or a job description ready to go um, by November. And then the search firm will be doing its due diligence to then start recruiting people, taking names, and then we'll start working through that hiring process. So um, my hope is that we'll have candidates or some finalists um, ready to have in our community sometime, I think she said between February and March. And the goal is to have somebody in place by July of 2024. Yes, that is the goal. You may have a candidate who is um, able to start a few months early 
just depending on their current situation. But yes, the goal is we have an uh, amazing interim superintendent, um, Lisa Kivstad, who's been with MMSD for many, many years. And she she knows that um, our search process will probably take us into next July. And she has agreed to that timeline. Great. Okay. Well, uh, so people look out for community engagement when the school year begins this fall. Um, good to hear. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm really happy we we tackled some of these tough budget issues just so people can really understand what the heck's going on because it's not they don't make it easy. Um, but before we go, I just want to ask you to. I know. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you what's happening with District Spokesperson Tim Lamones, and you know, a recent editorial called for him to be fired for his conduct towards district staff and and what seems to be a hostile attitude towards local journalists. So, is there anything you can tell us about what's happening with that? Well, I mean, what I can tell you, and I hope people respect this, is that when it comes to personnel-related issues, those are things that we can't discuss, as you can understand. What I can convey is that I think many board members, including myself, have received emails from our um, local journalists, partners, and other concerned folks really wanting us to comment, wanting to know where we stand on this. And um, without crossing the line of, you know, violating a personnel-related thing, I, I want to just say that I have heard from all board members about kind of what was released in the newspaper, the seriousness of what was alleged or or put in that complaint. I think we're, we are still um, kind of waiting for the internal administration to kind of do what they need to do. But yeah, like I think board members, we feel pretty committed to wanting like responsive, respectful and collegial communications and collaborations with our, our, our media partners and wanting to make sure that good relationships happening um, within our, our district staff and departments. So we're going to, you know, kind of hold off right now to see exactly what transpires, but, yeah, we 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 definitely want the district to always be represented in a good way. Mass and School Board President Michelle Nichols, thank you so much for answering the tough questions and and just giving us an update on all these important developments in the district. And just thank you very much for your work and for giving us some time today. Thanks for reaching out. That was Madison School Board President Michelle Nichols. The Board of Education is expected to pass a budget at its June 26th meeting. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Make music Madison! Tomorrow, June 21st, is the first day of summer, and Madison is celebrating with dozens of concerts around town, big and small. It's the 11th year Madison has joined thousands of cities around the world in Make Music Day. The DIY event means musicians are playing at coffee shops, backyards, parks, restaurants, and street corners. More than 150 concerts are occurring in virtually every neighborhood in Madison, rain or shine. Bluegrass, folk, funk, DJs playing techno, whatever your taste in music, there's a show for you and it's likely not far from home. Performances are happening all day long and into the night. To see a full listing of all the bands, songwriters, and musicians participating in Make Music Madison, there's a link in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Dylan Brogan in for Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, 
why not share this podcast with someone who understands Wisconsin's school funding formula? Good luck with that. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then, 